in a name. That which we call a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. William Shakespeare wrote that uh, to say that names don't really matter. Whatever it's called, it's going to be that thing. Uh, unfortunately, I disagree with old Billy Shakes. I don't think that's true. Uh, I am borderline superstitious on names and name meanings. Like, truly believe if my name was like Caleb, my life would be on a different trajectory. Like, I think names have a lot to do uh, just with how we live our lives, how we're perceived by the world. Uh, I, it's, you know, like tertiarily biblical, like kind of biblical. Uh, it, it's, I mean, think about um, Jacob. Jacob means the deceiver, he who grasps the heel. And Jacob lived up to that. He was not a good dude. Uh, he tricked people a lot. But then he has a night where he wrestles with God and he's named Israel, he who wrestles with God. And his life changes completely. We think of uh, Naomi, mother-in-law to Ruth. Um, she loses two sons and a husband, and she tells everybody, call me Mara, which means bitter. We even think about Moses in the burning bush. Uh, we have Moses comes to a bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed, and he goes, who are you? And the voice says, I am. Just goosebumps, right? Like, that's movie quality answer to the question of who you are, I am. So I think names have a lot to do with how we interact with the world and who we are. I think of my niece. I have a niece named Kinley. Um, her parents are very dark-haired. Uh, my brother-in-law has black hair. My sister has dark brown hair. Kinley means fair-haired Viking. She is blonde, and it doesn't make sense. And we were just there in, on July 4th like for the holiday in Iowa with them, and uh, she was just like, she had a hoverboard, and she was just crashing. She was like falling off monkey bars. And every time she'd stand up and go, oh, I'm fine, and just run off. And I was just, you have, she has no regard for her body. And they're like, yeah, she just, she just goes. Uh, and I was like, yeah, because she's a fair-haired Viking. I, I even think of, uh, I have a three-year-old. Uh, and like how, again, how we interact with people and the names we call them, I think, matters a lot. And so when she wakes up in the morning, uh, I'm about to win, you, win some points here with all of you. Every morning she wakes up, I go, oh, morning, beautiful. Because like, that's just how we interact. Uh, even though, because I love her and I want her to know that. Uh, even though sometimes she makes it hard because her name means hardworking. And man, she makes it uh, work to love her sometimes, but she is great. I love her. Uh, and so even the ways we like calling people beautiful or friend, these change the way we interact with people, right? Like if I was telling you, oh, my wife and I have a great marriage. Uh, I call her the worst and she calls me the biggest mistake she ever made. We're great. Uh, you'd go, that's not true. You guys need to go to counseling immediately. Uh, and so how we interact with people and the way we talk about them and to them matters a lot. And that includes our relationship with God. And we've been going through the Psalms and we've been going through these kind of characteristics of God and, and attributes of God. Uh, and today we're going, well, this is all the same, and we're going through one call that, that's almighty. That's the word we're calling God today is almighty. And it's this fascinating word because we've only ever used it really to talk about God. All right, we don't go to Chick-fil-A and go like, man, that chicken sandwich was almighty. It doesn't make sense. Like, it does not clear, like, it was all-powerful chicken filet. does not compute. It is a God-only word. It, it only defines God because you can only be almighty or you cannot be almighty. You can't be in between. I'm either all-powerful 
or I'm not. There's nothing in the middle of that. And so when we say almighty, it has to refer, refer to God. I even think back to like in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for almighty, uh, you 90s worship fans are going to just get a big smile, El Shaddai, God almighty. And then when you get to the New Testament, the, the, we start hearing Greek in the New Testament, the Greek word for almighty is pantokratos, uh, which is literally panta all, kratos, kratos, powerful. In fact, the Greek god for strength, the god of power, is kratos or kratos in Greek, powerful. Then as the church moves on, they start speaking more Latin, uh, and the Latin word is actually one you know. It's omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipotens. It's all omnipotens, powerful. And the Roman god for power, potestas, potens, potestas. So this always is a word to talk about God. But we've become this, it's become this word that is just colloquial. Like that means, you know, it's like, oh man, it's so hot I could fry an egg on the sidewalk. That's, called, that's a colloquialism, just a turn of phrase that we all can relate to. That's what almighty has become in church. It's just church language. Oh yeah, God almighty, that's great. But we have to understand the connotation that comes with that word. It's not just like a throwaway attribute of God, because again, he's either almighty or he isn't. There's nothing in between. And so when we say God almighty, what we're saying is God the infinite, God the creator, God the over everything and nothing else, God who is able beyond complete measure, God almighty. And so it's a vastly important word of how we describe and talk to God in our relationship with God. And so we're going to continue this thought. We're going to read Psalms 46 today. We've been going through the Psalms and different attributes. And so today is no different. Uh, and Psalm 46 does this awesome thing. I think the whole point of this Psalm is to show how almighty God is and, and what we can do with that. And so let's read Psalm 46 in its entirety. Uh, I'm a little bit, as you could, probably could have tell probably could tell, a little bit of a word nerd. Uh, I love words and how they, they come about. Uh, and so we're going to read Psalm 46 in its entirety because being a word nerd, I think uh, poetry needs to be read in its entirety, and I like poetry, and uh, don't want to intimidate you with my masculinity, but there it is. So Psalm 46 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, Behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our for fortress. So I think... Uh, liking poetry, I can see three very predominant themes throughout this psalm. Number one, we're going to skip around a little bit, but number one, God is almighty over man. Okay, God is almighty over man. I think that's from 6a and 8 and 9. It says, uh, he, uh, or no, the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. 
Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. I think we have a tendency to read that as very violent uh, because these aren't birthday card words. I'm not like, happy birthday and happy desolations. Like, that's not a thing I do. I'm not like, okay, good job. Let's let the kingdoms totter on this Arbor Day. Like, it's nothing like that. Uh, They're not happy words, but notice the things he's destroying, the things he's shattering. He's not throwing armies off cliffs, right? He's not deposing a king. He's making the means by which they conduct war meaningless. He's destroying the weaponry. And this isn't God as warrior. This is God as peacemaker. This is God as diplomat. He's going, no, no, no. I'm not taking you out. I'm taking the means by which you destroy each other out. That's why the armies are raging. That's why the kingdoms are tottering. They have no way to go into battle. They have nothing to fight with. And I even think about what the chariot means to this culture. This is the pinnacle of warfare at the time. Not much gets more deadly than a chariot at this present moment in history when Psalms is being written. I mean, think about just being like, you're just walking along into battle, and all of a sudden there's like two big horses and a guy with a bow. And you're like, well, that's it for me, guys. Like, there's nothing else. That's, a, that's akin to walking into the parking lot and seeing a Tesla and be like, oh, that's a cool Tesla. And then it just takes off into the sky. And you're like, oh, it was an airplane. Like, that's, I don't know what else to say. Like, there's nothing else that we can do. We're in the future. Uh, and so, like, every time there's a military advancement, uh, whether it's, like, Greek hoplite soldiers or mounted Mongolian archers or uh, machine guns, There's always going to be a new advancement, a new pinnacle of war that we will get to, that somebody will get to witness with great fear and trembling. And God says, I make those obsolete because they're not almighty. I am. I am almighty over those things. And so we often like, I hear people say this all the time. You know, we live in terrible times. The world is shattering around us. And there's a great song uh, by a band called Wilco uh, that says, every generation thinks it's the worst, thinks it's the end of the world. And every single generation does. Everybody goes, the world is terrible, everything's awful. And we have to remember as the church that, yeah, creation fell, but God is almighty over that creation. And when he says that I'm burning the chariots, but he also says that armies are scattered and kingdoms are tottering, he's also saying, yeah, the means by which we conduct war are gone, but also the ideologies by which people are conducting war are toppled too. The leadership is also in disarray. Because not only does God get rid of the strength of men in weaponry, he gets rid of the strength of men in philosophy and ideology because everything boils down to God's almighty over man. God's almighty over anything we can put forward. And so while there's physical danger, we can rest assured that we have an almighty God. Theme number two, God is almighty over nature. Two through four and six B. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. Uh, Sorry, 6b, he utters his voice and the earth melts. I have a particular fondness to God being almighty over nature because I am a transplant here. I wasn't born here in Kansas. I think I'm eight years in 
I think I can call myself a Kansan officially. Like, I don't know what the term limit is for that or when, when I can officially do it. Uh, but I, I think it's fair. I have t- I've had two kids born in Kansas. That counts. I was married in Kansas. That counts. Uh, so I love Kansas uh, for one thing. What are you supposed to do when a tornado comes? You're supposed to take shelter, you know, grab your family, grab bottles of water, grab a flashlight. No, you get on the porch and you get your phone. Like, where is it? Let's watch. Like, that's crazy. Like, we as Kansans, are, we are aware of what nature can do, right? We, I, we see tornadoes all the time. I even think uh, before I came to Kansas, if you pulled me in like high school, you're like, tell me about Kansas. I'd be like, tornadoes, uh, Wizard of Oz, sorry, but Wizard of Oz, and then probably like Dust Bowl, which is also a natural weather event. Like that happened here too. And so we're a very weather-oriented state. We've had a week of just heat. Like, not just like normal heat, but like hot, hot heat. It's unreal. We're a weather-based state, really. And so I think about Kansas as a weather state, and we don't even see the pinnacle of weather. Like, we don't get hurricanes. We don't get tsunamis. Uh, We get some earthquakes. We're getting there. Uh, We're going to someday, we're going to be an earthquake state, too. Uh, But I, just a little insight into me, I spent a day looking into weather, for uh, this sermon, and I got stuck for like two hours on volcanoes. Like, man, volcanoes are crazy. Like, that's a thing that happens on Earth. Just magma, just lava out of the world. Like, that's crazy. And so I spent a long time on Krakatoa. You guys know, like, that's a household name, I think, Krakatoa. If you had to list volcanoes, it'd probably be Vesuvius, Mount St. Helens, Krakatoa. Like, it's in there. It's in the top three. So here's what I learned. None of this is written down. I memorized this because that's the way it works. So uh, Krakatoa erupted in 1883, just so you know. Uh, it, it was the loudest recorded sound in human history. Uh, it went, the sound went around the world seven times. Wild. Uh, it shot debris 83 kilometers into the air. Outer space starts at 62. Just, that's really high. Uh, and so... It, this is a downer note, killed tens of thousands of people uh, from tsunamis, acid rain, changing weather patterns, all sorts of things. And it also, this to me is, it sounds the simplest, but it's the wildest. It changed the way we saw sunsets for decades because of all the debris that was in the air and went around the world. There's like paintings of people going like, wow, the sun is really setting different now. It was because of Krakatoa. It's crazy. But, but... That wasn't even the biggest explosion from a volcano of that century. In fact, on a scale of like one to seven, I didn't figure out the scale, but a scale of one to seven, it's like a six compared to a ton of others. And so the world can throw wild things at us. I think of all the, I mean, we saw a tornado this year. We saw, we've seen hurricanes and tsunamis and just these crazy natural events that we can't fight or begin to fathom And God says, yeah, I'm over that, though. Like, I'm almighty over that. The earth is going to give way. There's going to be times of physical distress because of hail and rain and tornadoes and and, and crazy things can happen to the weather and to what we do. I didn't even talk about, like, the cosmos, how, like, oh, there's a comet headed this way. We don't know. But God is like, yeah, things are going to happen. I'm almighty over that. I am almighty. Not the weather. I am almighty. 
And so this is where we're headed. I, th- I think I've made my point. God is almighty, and this is a good thing, because uh, he's either almighty or he isn't, and so I think he is. Uh, he's proving his point. He is almighty, and this is a good thing, but what do we do with that, right? How do we interact with an almighty God? What do we do? And I think a natural thing that we often do as a church, as a people, is we love God for that. We love God for being uh, this almighty creator. And it's natural. It's so easy. Because why wouldn't we love a God that formed the beauty of the world around us? You look into the sky on a clear night, and it's like, yeah, of course I love God. Look at this. Like, look at the stars he's set in the sky. Like, he knows my name. He knows my heart rate He knows my vital signs, and not only that, but he knows the number of cells that he put into my body. He sees the atoms that have formed that call themselves Sam and how they interact with the other atoms that have formed in this room. God can see so deeply, and not only that, but he sent his only son to die a torturous death on a cross to be nearer to us. Jesus' body hung from three nails on wood, holding up his body weight and the weight of trillions and trillions of sins. Of course we love God. Another thing that is natural to do, that we often do, uh, or try to avoid completely, is fear God. That's something that is natural to do, but we try to stay over here, because loving God is so much more easy and natural, and who wants to be, the people that are like, oh, I love scary movies. No, you don't. Like, come on. Real, I'm talking real fear. Really fearful things. Proverbs 9 or 10 says, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. So it's natural fear God. I think of all the things I just said over here. God created mountains and the cosmos, and that is something to love him for. But man, think about what it means to form a mountain in a moment's notice. That's fearsome, right? Like people that can't, there's thousands of people every year that can't climb mountains, and God's just like, there's a mountain, and it's done. I also like the idea of, oh, God knows how many hairs are on my head. And we say that as a good thing. When I say that's like a threat almost. Like if I handed you my three-year-old, said, here's Emlyn, I need you to watch her. She has 99,963 hairs on her head. You'd be like, yeah, none of them are going to be touched. Like she's fine. I'd be like, yeah, I just wanted you to know. Like that's how many hairs are on her head. That's not fun fact. That's a threat. Like that's like I know her. So watch out. And so when I think of, yeah, God knows how many hairs are on my head, that's not like, oh, yeah, that's chill. No, that's God saying, yeah, I know you more than you know yourself. And it's good to fear God in that way, to be submissive to a power that is almighty over us, to say, I'm going to follow the words in this book. I'm going to submit to this out of fear of the Lord, correct fear of the Lord. But where these two things meet are in reverence. I think we ought to revere the Almighty. I'm, this is a Sam-endorsed thought, kind of like the, uh, the names thing. This isn't a South Rock-endorsed thought. This is a Sam-endorsed thought. The opposite of love, I think, is fear. I don't think the opposite of love is hate. I think the opposite of love is fear. And the opposite of hate would be like tolerance. Just that's for free. But the opposite of love, I believe, is fear. And in the middle where those meet is reverence. And we ought to revere the Almighty. And when I say reverence, I know that's another church word. That's one we hear and you go, well, what does reverence mean? It's like, oh, it's respect. You need to respect God. Some people would define it as fear. Oh, reverence is fearing the Lord correctly. 
But I think reverence means so much more than just fear. I think reverence is the meeting of love and fear. It's loving fear or fearful love. It's the combination of the two into one beautiful ombre hue. It's something we ought to work towards. And so the question is, how do we revere the Almighty correctly? Right? How do we get there? And I think verse 10 is actually a pretty good recipe starting point for reverence to the Lord. I think this whole psalm is in regards to how do we interact with a God that's almighty over all of creation, including us. And verse 10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so, yeah, I think step one is be still. And I don't think that means, like, you need to literally freeze frame and just wait it out. I think when he says be still, I'm thinking holy Sabbath. God is saying, take a moment, take a beat, have a holy rest to commune with me. This is supposed to be a relationship. Jesus died so that we could embody Christ in ourselves. The spirit dwells within us. So he's saying, be still, cancel out the noise, cancel out the world. I mean, I have, I'm terrible at this. I have, I've spent like two hours Googling Krakatoa. Of course I'm terrible at this. I usually have AirPods in my pocket so I can listen to Netflix or podcasts or music. When I read, I have brown noise on because I cannot, like I have to have something. And God says, no, there's times where you need to stop and just have me. Be still and have this holy rest. Be present with me and me alone. And then he says, know that I am the Lord. And again, I don't think this is just knowledge. I don't think this is just, oh yeah, I know the Lord. That's check mark, and I'm out. I think this is, know that I am the Lord and you aren't. Know that I am the Lord and your spouse isn't, your job isn't, your church isn't. Basically, this is know that I'm the Lord and have no other idols before me. Know that I am the Lord and nothing else in your life will satiate you more than I can. So be still and be in relationship with me and only me. There are things that should never be above me because I am almighty over them. And so we need to be still and know that he is God, have no idols before him. And then it says, I will be exalted. And I love that phrasing because it's a lot different than exalt me. If I was talking to my kids and I said, hey, listen up, it versus you will listen to me. It's a different tone, isn't it? So he's saying, I will be exalted which is to say that in everything we do, we need to exalt him. Everything we do has an opportunity to exalt him. We should, we ought to, we should want to exalt him. I'm saying when I cook dinner, that's an opportunity to exalt the Lord. When I'm laughing with friends, that's an opportunity to exalt the Lord. When I'm showering, when I'm walking, when I'm at work, when I'm doing any number of things, moment to moment, minute to minute, I have an opportunity to worship. We have a tendency to call this worship and leave it at that, and it is worship, but there's so much more. We can practice the presence of the Lord. We can, with every step, say something new that exalts him and worship him in that. So I think these are steps to revering the Almighty. Be still and, and be in communion with him. Uh, have no idols before him. Just, just him and worship him with everything you do. So that's, you know why and how, but, or that's what and how, but why should we, right? I mean, if you've been a believer for a long time, you're on, you're on board and you probably don't need the, the why so much, but there's a third theme that's repeated throughout this, and it's this. It's 
uh, God's our almighty and present fortress. So read with me in verses 1, 7, and 11. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God is almighty over us. That's plain and simple. He is either almighty or he isn't, and he is. And we can get closer to this almighty God by reverencing him, by, being a, by revering him completely, by being in communion with him, by keeping no idols above him, by worshiping him with everything we do. But we ought to because when we do, we draw near to a God that is our fortress and our refuge. Man, life is terrible sometimes. There's mornings where I wake up and I go, not today. The whole, that sign that says, today's a good day to have a good day. I want one that like you can flip back and forth. It's just like, today is not a good day for anything. And it's just, I can leave it at that if I need to. Sometimes there's physical danger. Sometimes hail damages our cars beyond repair. Sometimes we lose family members. Sometimes we just have terrible sins that just keep cropping up. But God says, man, if you revere me, I am always there. I am a present fortress. I am a present strength for you. You can have peace. You can have assurance. You can have joy. Yeah, life is going to stink. Of course life's going to stink. This world is fallen. This world is broken. God's like, I'm still almighty. I'm still over it. Your soul is still mine. You are still my child. Revere me and come into the strength and presence of the Lord. And so we're going to close today, and I just want you to be aware. I want you to leave with that. Revere the Almighty because he is a present strength. These rooms are going to be open. If you have never heard this message, you, you don't know about this Almighty God, I want you to go back there and just talk to somebody, pray with somebody. And if you do know, and you're just like, man, this keeps coming up, or man, life's just getting me down, and you just need prayer to help you refocus and reorient and get back to the reverence of God that will help you come into a place where you have an almighty present fortress. Go back there too. And leave this week knowing that you have the capability of being in that place, a fortress, protected, a fortress that protects you forever. An almighty God that died for you to be within this fortress. So revere the almighty. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. Your sacrifice alone has allowed us to come into this place where when things are terrible and there's ideologies and philosophies and people and harms and news that are just bombarding us, you died a death so that we could be present with you. And God, having you over us, having you as an almighty God is such an assurance is such a blessing because we don't have to be greater than. We can just submit and live in that. So God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.